0: In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Today we are doing a solo episode with me, yours truly, and we're doing a QA and a episode. So I've been asking you guys more and more to respond to my emails. You can always reach me at brendan at brendanhburns.com. Me or someone from my team will see those emails. And I love hearing from you. I love getting feedback on the podcast. I love getting feedback on the YouTube channel. and. I love getting questions because I've been doing more and more solo episodes as you guys probably can tell and I've been doing a lot of these Q&A episodes and I want to do more of them because why sit here and try to come up with topics when you guys have questions that actively need to be answered. So today I'm going to start off with an email which ties into some exciting updates going on with my business and my brand and you're going to learn more about what's going on with my YouTube channel. So. We're gonna, I'm gonna share that email with you and we'll talk a little bit about what's going on on my business front and with my YouTube channel. And then I have three questions here from different listeners all over the US. We also have a lot of listeners abroad and I'm gonna start weaving in those questions as well on my next Q&A episode. I've heard from people in India, Singapore, Bhutan, the Philippines, Essentially, anywhere where people can speak English, I love to have listeners, and it's been very exciting as the show has grown, and we're getting more downloads and all that stuff. So, like I said, if you have a question, you can always send it in to brendan at brendanhburns.com. Me or someone from my team will see that, and I really like hearing from you, whether you have a question that you want answered on a future episode, or you just want to say hi and share how the show has impacted you. So let's go ahead and get into it, and we'll start with an email that I received from a listener named Jordan in San Francisco. Now Jordan said, and this is about a week and a half ago, hey Brendan, hope you're doing well. I just saw your new Breaking Down Belichick's press conference and wanted to say that was some incredible content. Now for those listening right now, I did a YouTube video a few weeks ago breaking down Bill Belichick, he's the head coach of the New England Patriots football team, and I broke down his mannerisms and how he set boundaries with a a press conference reporter, and I was really passionate about that video, and I thought it did come out really good, so FYI, if you want to see that, just go onto YouTube, put in Brendan Burns Coach, my channel should come up right away, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, of course, and I broke down Bill Belichick really handling a difficult reporter who kept pushing and pushing and pushing when Coach Belichick was very clear that he didn't want to answer a certain line of questioning. But anyway, Jordan writes, I saw your new video breaking down Belichick's press conference and wanted to say that was some incredible content. It is awesome how you broke down the way he knew his boundaries heading into the conference, held those boundaries, and took full control over the conversation. He really is the master of this and seeing you break down his technique piece by piece was really interesting and fun to watch. I think there needs to be a new channel like ESPN, except rather than providing game commentary, it should be you breaking down press conferences from a personal coaching perspective. Anyway, thanks for sharing this content with the world. I hope to connect again soon, and would love to grab a bite and or drink next time you're out west or I'm back east. Warm regards, Jordan. So, obviously, it always makes me very happy when my content is impactful and resonates with my audience. And Jordan mentioned a few things that were really powerful. First of all, for my YouTube channel to be compared to ESPN is a real honor and makes me feel really good. So I always love hearing that. And Jordan, he pointed out a couple things that really specifically, I thought, made my video special, which was... In the video, and again, after this episode, I recommend you go check it out on my YouTube channel, Bill Belichick knew his boundaries going into that conversation. So he gets on the podium, he's answering questions, and he made a decision in his head that he was not going to be answering any questions as it related to Antonio Brown, controversial wide receiver, had a lot of off-the-field problems. And so Belichick went into this saying, Okay, my boundary is that if someone asks me about Antonio Brown, I'm not going to be answering those questions. And I don't care if someone asks me a hundred times, I can use the word no over and over again. And so a lot of times in life, people, we, we let our guards down and we really let other people break our boundaries because we don't even know what our boundaries are. We don't even know what our rules are. And if we don't know what our rules are, if we don't know what we're comfortable with or we're not comfortable with, then if someone presents that opportunity, we can get caught off guard. And setting boundaries can be challenging enough. It's certainly even more challenging if you don't even know what your boundaries are and you have to make a decision on the spot. Oh yeah, maybe this is okay. Even if deep down, it's really not. So uh, he knew his boundaries heading in, held those boundaries. And Jordan also says, and took full control of the conversation. Now that's something I talk about in some of my other YouTube videos as well. I did a video that I thought came out really well on my YouTube channel about how to say no or stand up for yourself without being a jerk about it. And you can watch that as well. I tell the story about how I was at a party and a very religious Christian person confronted me and I felt somewhat attacked for being Jewish and not following his beliefs. And in that YouTube video, I talk all about how I took full control of the conversation and how I set my boundaries and stepped up and took the frame back, as I call it. And you can see more in that video. But Jordan, thanks for reaching out. I'm really glad that you enjoyed that. And one of the things that I want to ask all the listeners today is if you see anything on YouTube, with the news, anywhere where I can get access to a video, that you would be interested in me breaking that down looking at the psychology behind it. I actually have a really interesting video coming out in about a week, I believe. So by the time you hear this podcast, it should be on my YouTube channel where I show Tony Robbins setting really amazing boundaries with a woman in his audience. And I know he's a bit of a controversial guy and there was a viral video where he kind of looked like he was more attacking a woman or really walking at her vigorously. So it's not that video, it's a different one. But the point is, I'm always looking for videos where emotions are flaring, but ideally where somebody did a really good job either staying cool, setting a boundary, saying no, handling a a tough situation in a a positive way. So if you ever see something like that, shoot me the link, shoot me the video. Again, brendan at brendanhburns.com or at the Brendan Burns Show on Instagram, send a DM over, me or my team will get that. And just to give you guys kind of a behind-the-scenes update with what's going on in my life, I've really made much more of a decision to focus on podcasting and the YouTube channel. Uh, I don't hate Instagram, but there are a lot of rumors that Instagram is going to be a dying social media platform. People seem to be moving over to TikTok a lot. And in general, people seem frustrated with the Facebook ecosystem. Um, I don't really do anything on Facebook because... Facebook business pages have almost no organic reach unless you're advertising on Facebook on that page. So for organic posting, Facebook's pretty much dead. Instagram is still there, but I really like YouTube a lot more because it's a search engine. It has a lot more longevity to it. I feel like when I make posts on Instagram, people either see it or they don't, but then it gets buried at the bottom of your feed. And on YouTube, for example, if someone searches a topic, my video can come up. So I like it because it's more fun. I have, they seem to be more professional than some of my old Instagram posts that I used to do. And I'm still on Instagram for sure, but uh, I'm making more of a push into YouTube. I started out with just a couple hundred followers. I'm coming up on a thousand subscribers now. And the real—it's going to be a combination of kind of life coaching videos where I share different strategies, and uh, I have these breakdown videos as well. I'll actually pull up right now just so you guys can get a little preview. Um, I'm talking about relationships coming up. I have one called "Why Am I Always Single" that I'm going to make for YouTube. I have takeaways from Dr. Glover's "No More Mr. Nice Guy" book, um, how to become location independent how I make money, travel full time, and have a four hour work week, and just some other breakdown videos and coaching videos as well. So I'm going to be going more and more with YouTube, so make sure you have access to the channel. It's just called Brendan Burns on YouTube. And what's really funny is um, there's so many Brendan Burns's so I've really had to make a push with SEO and everything to make sure that I'm the number one guy. Because if you Google Brendan Burns, there is a guy with the same exact spelling as my name who invented some form of coding called Kubernetes or something. And he's this distinguished engineer at Microsoft. And so, hey, if Brendan Burns, if you're listening to this, I'm coming after you, man. But in all seriousness, there's him. There's a guy named Brendan Burns. My, my first name is spelled B-R-E-N-D-A-N, but there's a guy B-R-E-N-D-O-N, and he's this famous, very famous comedian in Australia. So I have to compete with him. Uh, so so it's fun, it's just funny. There's also a uh, another guy Brendan Burns with the same exact spelling as me who is a professional UFC fighter who's been on Joe Rogan's podcast, which is like the number three podcast in the world. So if you go on YouTube and you search Brendan burns, that episode is on so that can come up before me. but as my show has grown, uh, you can really see that I'm elevating in the rankings and if you can't find it, just put in Brendan burns coach or Brendan burns podcast into the into YouTube search and you'll see me come up right away. So, Uh, If you have any other ideas for videos that you want me to make, especially on the breakdowns, if you have any examples, check out the Bill Belichick one, check out the Tony Robbins one, and if you see any similar videos that you're interested in kind of understanding the why why behind someone's behavior, shoot it over, would love to see it, would love to break it down and help you guys uh, better understand what's going on there. And thank you again, Jordan, for your email. Now let's get into another question from the audience and this one comes from Jesse from New York City. And Jesse asks, how do you contrast the No More Mr. Nice Guy covert contracts of Dr. Robert Glover with the givers and takers approach of Adam Grant? Where do you see the middle ground? It's a good question. And for those of you who are new to my show, I talk a lot about Dr. Robert Glover, he came on the podcast, Um, he is a great guy, and essentially what No More Mr. Nice Guy represents is to stop being a pleaser. So no more people pleasing, no more giving, giving, giving without receiving, and covert contracts is really a form of manipulation. So what a covert contract is, if you're not familiar, is essentially... I want something from say, let's just use an example of them in a relationship for my girlfriend, right? It can be in any area of life, but let's just say I want something from my girlfriend. I want her to spend more time with me, and rather than being direct and clear about what I want, rather than having healthy communication, being vulnerable, being authentic, sitting down with my partner and asking for that, and talking about why that would be meaningful to me, right? I could sit down and say hey, you know, I I really enjoy spending time with you and maybe I just want to spend more time because I'm scared that you'll leave and so I just want to talk about that, Um, but maybe it would be nice to spend a little bit more time together and how could we go about doing that? That would be a healthy approach. Now, a covert contract approach would be me, instead of communicating that and asking for more time together, I would start to give up my own things in my personal life So I would stop hanging out with my friends. Have you ever met someone who once they're in a relationship, they go silent on you and you kind of realize that that's probably not a good thing for them or for you, right? Or your friendship. So let's say I started to um, stop spending time with my friends. I'm not hanging out with my friends anymore. I'm giving up my hobbies. I'm giving up kind of my own individuality and I'm making excessive sacrifices so that I can spend more time with my partner. And then I kind of covertly without openly talking about this, expect my partner to do the same thing. I expect my partner to give up all her friends and all her hobbies and her individuality. And then when she doesn't do that, and when she doesn't give me all of her time, then I get frustrated and upset and angry and pouty and sad and all these things. And that's essentially what a covert contract is. It's, it's Instead of saying, I want this thing from you and I'll be vulnerable and ask you for it, and tell you why. Instead, I'm going to do the thing that I want to you, even though you might not even want that thing, and then also tacitly expect that you give it back to me. So that's a covert contract. Now, let's talk about the givers and takers approach of Adam Grant, and we'll see if there's a middle ground, because to me, it's not even about there being a middle ground. They're actually kind of like totally separate frameworks. So that's covert contracts. Givers and takers is a really interesting framework that Adam Grant set up, and essentially what he did was he defined three groups of individuals. There's takers, there are matchers, and there are givers. A taker is someone who's pretty much only concerned with themselves, and they're very selfish and very focused on me. How can I get as much as I need and want out of other people without really having to give back? These are the people that go to parties and don't bring anything. These are the people that try to just squeeze every ounce out of their employees without showing satisfaction. And they're just very focused on I and me rather than we or us. A matcher is similar to a taker, but instead of only taking, he or she also gives as long as the opposite person in the exchange gives back to them. So while takers pretty much only take from other people, matchers will take but also give if that person has given to them. So sounds kind of fair, right? Not necessarily a bad thing. Certainly it sounds more reasonable than a taker as a matcher. And then the last group are called givers. And givers are people who give freely without expectation of anything from the other party so i'm going to not only take not only am i also going to give but i'm not just going to give to people who give to me i'm going to give freely to everyone so those are the three groups of people according to adam grant and what's really interesting was he ran an analysis he ran studies and he said who is at the top of the pyramid out of those three groups Who are the most successful people, the happiest people, the people who make the most money, who have the best relationships, who have the best lives? Who's at the top of the pyramid? Givers. Interesting, right? Counterintuitive. Why would the people who are giving so much be the ones who uh, you would say receive the most, right, and have the best lives? So the givers are at the top. But Grant took this a step further and he said, I want to also know who's at the bottom who have the worst lives, who are tired, frustrated, not making a lot of money, not in good relationships, not in a good relationship with themselves. You would think takers, wouldn't you? You're wrong. Who's at the bottom? Also givers, but different types of givers. So at the top are givers and at the bottom are givers, but different types of givers. You have good givers and you have bad givers. So what's the difference? Good givers ask three questions. Why, when, and whom? So if someone comes to you and asks you for something, instead of just being a giver, you wanna be a good giver, and so you ask why. And why you give matters, because if there's a strong why associated with you giving, you will find it a valuable and enriching and energizing experience. Think about it. If someone asked you to carry a box of bricks up 10 flights of stairs for no good reason versus a child who was sick asked you to take medicine up a couple flights of stairs so that she could feel better and not have some disease, which one's gonna be a more meaningful experience that might make you feel good about yourself? Obviously the latter example. So a strong why can make giving energizing, valuable, enriching, and a positive experience for you. So when you're in a situation where you have the opportunity to be a giver, the first thing you wanna do is ask why, and as necessary, set boundaries. And this is where this framework starts to connect with Dr. Glover's framework of being a nice guy. Because Glover says, nice guys are people who just give and give and give, and don't set boundaries and don't ask and don't take care of themselves. So if you're gonna be a good giver, according to Adam Grant, you ask why. The next question that you have to ask is when. So if somebody asks you for something and here's another opportunity to be a giver, you ask them, when do you need this by or when do you want this thing done? And it has to align with your rules and your boundaries. Because if I recall correctly, Grant or someone did a study. I don't know if it was Grant or Grant cited the study, but there was a study where employees said that from 9 a.m. to noon every day, they were going to be focused on themselves or their own work for their job. And so if something had to get done then, they said no and they could not be a giver during that time period because they had boundaries in place. And by setting those boundaries and asking when rather than just giving constantly right if you're in the middle of something and someone says hey can you do this thing for me it might not work for you and if you violate your own boundaries and you start giving excessively or giving in ways where you're not able to have self-care or take care of yourself or make sure that you're getting your own stuff done then You go from being a good giver to a bad giver, and now you can start to see why the bad givers are the ones who are at the bottom of the pyramid. And again, this ties into Robert Glover, no more Mr. Nice Guy author. Nice guys don't set boundaries, and they don't take care of themselves. Now, a subtle point, like the analysis for that in Glover's work is because nice guys have shame, and they feel like they're not good enough, And they feel that in order to have love and connection and approval from other people, they need to just give everything and having boundaries is a bad thing. So if you know that, you can kind of apply Glover's framework to doing some inner work around understanding why you might be a giver according to Grant's framework, but a bad giver. So good givers ask why. You wanna have a strong why. Good givers also ask when because you need to have boundaries in place. You can't just always be giving. And good givers ask for whom? You wanna make sure that you are giving to people where you're building positive feelings. So for example, good givers are much more likely to give to other givers and also to matchers. It's a good quality One of the differences between a good giver and a bad giver is bad givers give excessively to takers, and the takers then take advantage of the bad givers. And this is why we have at the top and the bottom two different types of givers. So if you want to win in life, be a giver, but don't let yourself be taken advantage of, and don't give to too many takers. you might not know if someone's a taker or not in the beginning, and you can do a test run. But if they clearly become a taker and try to just take and take and take and take, again, put the boundary up. Because this is going to be the difference between building positive feelings when you're giving to those who value you versus giving to takers where you're going to build anger, frustration, and resentment inside of yourself. So it really comes down to boundaries here. Giving, being a good giver is about giving, but when you have a strong why, when you have boundaries in place so you're able to take care of yourself, your work, your needs, your me time, and you're giving to the right people who value you, who are not necessarily takers. And and to just tie that in to the Dr. Glover, no more Mr. Nice Guy, nice guys are so focused on giving no matter what driven by a desire for approval from other people, driven for belonging and acceptance. And it's a broken framework because nice guys really wanna be loved and accepted and you can learn how to build those feelings up towards yourself. And counterintuitively, the good givers are more accepted and belonging and loved by others than bad givers because people really respect those who set boundaries and are able to ask these questions and also take care of themselves. So I'll close this question or my answer to this question here by just mentioning a couple signals of how you can spot takers and how you can tell the difference between a taker, a matcher, and a giver. And so when you're talking to someone and they're asking you for something, pay attention to the language that they use. So takers typically use words like I and me. They talk about themselves. Everything is portrayed as how it can advance their own initiatives, their own agenda. And matchers, and especially givers, will use the words us or we a lot more. And not just use them as like a tactic, but genuinely believe it. They believe in the value of the community, the value of the connection to other people. Takers are very isolated from other people. Givers are very connected, especially good givers. Um, And one other way I'll just mention to how to spot a taker is they treat people who are either above them or below them very differently. So if a taker walks into a room and sees someone who has money or power or influence, they kind of become a sycophant. They start to suck up to them. What can I get from this person? How can I play this situation correctly? They're very manipulative and conniving. Versus a giver treats all people equally. I believe in common humanity. I feel connected to my fellow brothers and sisters. I'm looking to create connection, community, positive relationships, and I'm not trying to take advantage of these people. If these people want something from me, if it makes sense, I'm happy to give to them. And if it makes sense, I'm also comfortable asking for them in exchange as well. So takers... They treat people, say, below them much differently. They look at someone who might not have money or influence and say, well, this person can't really do anything for me, so what's the point of treating them well? And that's another good way you can spot a taker. So to close it out, good and bad givers are at the top and bottom of the pyramid. It's a great framework to understand. And I don't think it really has anything to do with covert contracts. But I'm glad I explained that concept if you weren't familiar. Um, But I do think that this framework, the givers and takers framework from Adam Grant, has a lot in common with Dr. Robert Glover's concept of a nice guy more broadly, because typically nice guys um, finish last because they are bad givers. So that's kind of where the connection lies in. And how do you get better? You set those boundaries and you learn how to find validation and good feelings about yourself without having to give to other people. All right, you guys are making me thirsty here. I have two more questions for you. So another question is from another New York person. So Adam from New York asks, the segment on routines was great. Now this is, This is episode 63 of my podcast. Episode 63, I was actually interviewed on um, the Kinetic Fitness show, which is a podcast in London or the UK. I think London, but definitely somewhere in the UK. And I went on this guy's show. It came out really good. And I thought it came out so good. I said, hey, I'm going to put this on as a crossover episode and publish it on my own channel, too. And he was fine with that. And we did it. And so I talk a lot about my morning routines because at that point when I recorded that episode a few months ago, from like 8 a.m. till 10 a.m. at least, I had this really intense, powerful two-hour morning routine. Now, I still do that more or less, at least an hour, hour and a half morning routine. And if you wanna get that whole morning routine, when you're done with this episode, go check out uh, episode 63 of the podcast because I talk a lot about it. And so uh, Adam here is referencing that episode. He must've just listened to it. And he says, the segment on routines was great. Can't believe you do all that stuff every day. Made me look in the mirror. Sometimes I can't get to bed till 2 a.m. because I'm anxious about going to a job I hate. Then in the morning, I'm a zombie and I'm lucky to even make it in on time let alone have a morning routine. So the first thing I just want to say is thank you, Adam, for being open and for your vulnerability. Because this was 100% me to a T when I was working in finance. And one of the most important things to do in kind of a recovery from anxiety or frustration in life is to realize that you are no different from other people in this world. What If you are listening to this right now, and anything that Adam said resonates with you, I want you to know that you're not alone. A lot of people take these issues and they hide them in isolation because they think they... I heard this quote one time that I loved, which is, we compare our insides to everybody else's outsides. So you're walking down the street and you see someone dressed well, with a nice suit on and a briefcase, and you say, oh, man, they must be making so much money and have no money problems, whereas I'm over here paycheck to paycheck freaking out about money. <laughs> you have no idea what's going on inside that guy. He might be on the verge of losing his job. He might have kids and a family and a mortgage and tons of financial problems. He might be totally depressed having relationship issues. You just you don't know. So you want to stop comparing and you want to start connecting to fellow humans. I definitely used to hide what I was struggling with in my life and just kind of pretend that everything was okay. And all that did was fuel the fire of other people thinking that I was fine or that I was perfect, just fueling the fire of everyone feeling isolated and alone with these issues. And it's just, it's not true. One thing I've also noticed is the more vulnerable and open I've been about what I've been struggling with, whether it was anxiety in my old job or even just the anxiety of being an entrepreneur today. You know, I make videos talking about my abundance and all the success I've had in my business today, and I'm so grateful for that, but I still have ups and downs. I've lost major clients. I've had huge freakouts with losing different social media accounts and losing clients and money and all these types of things. And so if you really want to get support and or acceptance from fellow people, being open about these things is really powerful. I'm not telling you to go out and become a sob story and bitch and moan and complain about all the problems in your life because you don't want to do that either. But you want to be authentic and you want to be vulnerable. And when you reach out the way Adam has reached out today, you get more support. You get more love, you get more connection. Because, Adam, if you're listening to this, I get it. Staying up till 2 a.m. with anxiety, having a job you hate, that was me. And it's not easy. If you're looking for some ways to get to bed earlier, reduce the anxiety, I'll say two things. One, meditation is extremely powerful kind of cliche at this point but it's cliche for a reason it works and if you're not experienced with meditation go on youtube go on calm app headspace app there's all these different free resources where you can get meditations and just give it a shot try it for five minutes a day you don't have to be a buddhist monk and go into a room alone and meditate for four hours in a row every day start with five minutes a day then go to seven, then go to 10, then go to 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at night. It's really not how much you meditate, it's the quality of it. But the first thing I would say is just try that and see if it works. Because it's worked for me, it's worked for I think millions if not thousands and thousands of people in the world. So, because when I look at, when I think about, here's the other thing, when I think about going to sleep and having a hard time falling asleep or staying asleep, it's because our mind is racing. We have so many thoughts in our head, with so many things going on. We don't know, you know, oh my god, I might get fired soon, I have this problem, I have that problem. And we don't actually always have so many problems that our mind likes to worry about. There's that Mark Twain quote. I I'm not gonna Google it now, but it's it's something like 95% of the things I worried about never happened. And so And I'm not going to tell you guys that your life is perfect or that everything's okay. I don't want to lie or be deceptive. But when you think about it, literally, when you think about it, when you worry, so much of those things that you worry about never actually happen. So what meditation does is it helps you quiet your mind. And when you can have a still, quiet mind, you sleep a lot better. So for Adam, if you can't get to bed till 2 a.m., You might wanna have an evening routine. I talk a lot about my morning routine. If you go listen to episode 63 of The Brendan Burns Show, you'll hear my whole spiel about my big morning routine where I meditate and I read Eckhart Tolle spiritual stuff and I do my mirror exercise and my journaling and all these things. Yeah, that's great. But, maybe not but, but, and I also like to have an evening routine where I do similar stuff at night way before I even get in bed. Because if you just get in bed when your mind's racing, you're setting yourself up for failure. You gotta cool down the system, it's like a computer. You've been running all day, you're overheated, you got a million apps going on in your brain. Just take a deep breath and slow everything down. Close the apps, do a reset, do a reboot, do the meditation at night. And that can help you get into your body and get more still and get to a place where you can sleep better. Think about an evening routine instead of a morning routine, or both. If you have a job that you hate, that's tough. You know, you gotta pay the bills. But I would encourage everyone to consider looking at another job. Just applying for things. You can go on LinkedIn and do a search and just click apply immediately, you don't even have to fill stuff out. I know there are a lot of people out there who are scared about switching jobs, what if it's worse? I hear you, but what if it's better? Every job I ever switched out of, I always got to a better job because I grew, I knew what I wanted, I knew what would work best for me. Like for example, when I took the job in investment banking, I just wanted money and prestige. That's all I cared about. I've changed a lot since then. And when I took my next job working at the hedge fund, I remember the founder being a really genuine, nice guy who I thought would be a much better fit for me than some of the other private equity firms I was interviewing. And these guys just reminded me of investment bankers and I was like, great, I can make all this money, but I wanna be happy too. So if you start just thinking about applying for other jobs, you are unconsciously already going to be looking for different things because you know what you don't like in your current job and you didn't know you didn't want those things a few years ago. So I'll make that push. And obviously if you have any entrepreneurial dreams, I talk a lot about that on my show and I always advocate for that as long as you have a plan and as long as you have the cash flow and as long as you can execute on it. But life's too short to hate your job. So get out there and go apply for some new jobs and come up with a plan and don't settle. Thank you, Adam. All right, last question comes from John in Columbia, Maryland. And John asks... I struggle a lot with follow-through and dedication. What are some ways to keep on task when I don't want to? For example, I want to make pamphlets about my science programs for schools, but I keep putting it off and wasting time. What are some methods for building commitment? It's a good question, John. And it's funny because when I first saw your question, I said, number one, I'm definitely going to be answering this on the show because I know a lot of people struggle with this too. And then I said number two, I don't know how to answer this question because I've had a lot of problems in my life. I've had a lot of things come up. I've had a lot of things that I've struggled with relationships, money, friendships, boundaries, all these types of things. But One thing that I personally have not struggled with is follow through and dedication. It's one of my biggest, maybe even my biggest skill and my most grateful thing is my hunger, my dedication and my persistence. 96% of businesses, of new businesses fail. So why am I in the 4%? I think it's because of my persistence. I had nothing. I built up this business, I was selling courses on how to grow your Instagram account, I thought I had made it. And then Facebook, they come in and they shut down my ad accounts and my income goes from, it was 50K a month or 30K a month profit to negative 10,000 a month in costs, no overhead, six months later, I'm looking at bankruptcy. Thankfully, I was able to avoid that, but my persistence in not giving up and pivoting and saying, okay, I can make cash as a coach, I can make cash with a group recurring revenue coaching program. I can make money doing all these different types of endeavors instead and just over and over again, no matter what, staying persistent and hungry, following through and staying dedicated. So I had to actually think about this question and say, well, for someone who doesn't innately have that, what can be helpful and useful for them? The first thing I would ask you, John, is why do you keep putting it off and wasting time? We don't behave in this type of way randomly. It's not a coincidence that some people put it off and other people don't. There's usually a why underneath that. I would say there's always a why underneath that. So what's your why for putting it off and wasting time? You want to make pamphlets about your science programs for schools. Okay, why do you want to make those pamphlets? What will that help you accomplish? Will that help you get this goal that you want in life? How important is that goal for you? Is it a must? If so, why are you putting it off? Maybe it's fear. A Lot of people put things off out of fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of success. You know, what if this all does work out? I'm scared about that. I remember, me personally, Brendan here, I remember when I was encouraged by my COO of my business to hire all these people and get an office and do all these things that would really help me grow my impact, my income and my influence and i was totally dragging my feet on that for a while and it was really it wasn't that i just kept putting it off, kept wasting time. That's what's happening. Like what's happening for you John is you keep putting it off and you keep wasting time. But that's like that's the what, that's not the why. You got to figure out the why behind the what that's happening. So for me When I was hesitant to scale my team and really grow my business, slowing down, like dragging my feet was the what. The why was a fear that I wouldn't be able to handle the emotions of my employees. It was a fear that I wouldn't be able to handle my own emotions when dealing with clients. What if I had difficult clients? What if I had um, challenging situations? Do I wanna have all this stuff? Maybe it's easier to just make less money and not have all that stress. You can debate that philosophically as its own point, but. I realized that I had to overcome my fears around what if I actually did do this? What's scary about it? What emotions would come up for me? What tools do I need to develop so that if something happens when I'm getting rejected or when things go wrong, I can handle myself and I can handle these situations? So John, if you keep putting it off and you keep wasting time, I'm not concerned about that. I'm concerned about why do you keep putting it off? Why do you keep wasting time? So he asks, what are some methods for building commitment? We can talk about logistic methods in a minute. And I'll also say that it really comes down to the underlying reason why you keep putting it off. What are you scared of? What limiting beliefs do you have? How is your mom with business? How is your dad with business? Like, one thing that I learned after a lot of going back in time and doing my own personal inventory was my grandfather had this illustrious career as a big politician and lawyer, and my father didn't. And there's nothing wrong with that, but he just, he didn't. He was much more of a family guy, much more of a work-life balance guy. And I think one of the things that my grandfather got wrong was he kind of treated my father in maybe a little bit of a negative light, because he wasn't so accomplished on the success side of the equation. And I personally talk a lot about success versus fulfillment. And I am much more intrigued by someone who's got a total life balance and fulfillment in life than success. And so, anyway, long story short, my father had more of a work-life balance. He didn't have the big career that my grandfather did. And at a young age, it was kind of clear that I was on a similar trajectory as my grandfather. And my father naturally didn't love to see that because my grandfather was probably giving me more love than he was giving my father. And so when I was getting excited about big things in my life or wanting to have success in my career, I actually hid a lot of my own successes. And I don't really think I did this, but people in these types of situations can even self sabotage because they'd rather get their parents love and approval than hit their own marks and their goals. So I've met a lot of people who, because their mother or their father, they they get angry or upset, or they put a lot of negative emphasis on financial success or capitalism or whatever, they haven't worked out their own feelings and issues about success, and so they project it onto their children, and then their children, who have the opportunity to be really successful, then self-sabotage, because they wanna get the approval of their parents. So that's a very niche, subtle psychological explanation behind why people procrastinate but it's a real one so john you know what what happens if you make these pamphlets what happens if your science programs blow up across schools and across the country how are your parents going to react to that how's your wife going to react to that how is how are your friends going to react to that you know what's the psychology underneath your holding you back your fear That's part one. Part two is you can set concrete goals. You can set smart goals. I recommend not only setting goals, but setting specific, measurable, attainable, uh, realistic, and time-sensitive goals. That's what smart goals are. And printing them out. So if I were working with a client, they might say, all right, I would say, what's your goal? They would say, "Uh, I want to make pamphlets about my programs for schools. I'll say, that's a terrible goal. It's a beautiful mission, but it's a mission. It's not a goal. A goal is, right now it's March 13th, 2020. So the goal is by April 13th, 2020, I will have 100 pamphlets printed out on my desk about my science programs for my schools by April 13th, 2020 at midnight Eastern time. Then goal number two is by May 13th, 2020 at midnight Eastern time, I will have handed out 30 pamphlets at five different schools in my area. Now you write those two goals out and I maybe make one more for June or make one more longer term goal. You write them out, you ask an accountability partner or a friend for feedback. Are these specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time sensitive enough for me? Do I need to think bigger? Do I need to think smaller? Do I need to break these up? Do I need to really specify here? And then you print the goals out and you hang them up somewhere where you'll see them not only every day, but every hour. So those goals stare you in the face. And if you wanna go and eat a level even deeper, you set consequences on those goals. So for the, say for the April 13th one, if you don't have them printed out, you have to donate $100 or $1,000 to the Donald Trump campaign. I'm just joking. I'm not not a political guy at all. I'm not going to say anything for Trump or against Trump. I just use him as an example because I know there are a lot of people in America who don't love him. And so let's say you hate Donald Trump. Your consequence for this goal, if you don't achieve it, is you have to donate $500 cash to his campaign for the 2020 election. Or if you are um, an atheist, you Have to donate a thousand dollars to some born again Christian church, you know, just something like totally against your values. So that's the consequence. And if you want, you could also put in a reward if I accomplish this goal, I will allow myself to treat myself to uh Yankees game tickets. Or, this is a bad example because coronavirus is canceling all sports, but whatever you want, like a movie you've always wanted to watch, going out by yourself or with a friend or a nice restaurant that you've always wanted to go to. So attaching rewards to goals can be really good as well. So to answer your question, John, in a nutshell, it's understanding the why behind your goal and the why behind why you're putting it off. I don't care if someone's putting it off or not. I care why they are, like the fear, the whatever's underneath that. And then Methods, Some logistical, tactical strategies are written out or printed goals, one month, three month, six month goals written out, checked with a spouse or an accountability partner to make sure they're smart goals and attaching consequences and rewards. So that is that. A lot of great questions, you guys. I have another whole list of questions over here ready for one of my upcoming episodes I'm gonna record. Um, We're gonna be talking about work-life balance, how to start a side hustle that brings in 5K a month so you can travel and be with family. Um, I had someone, a listener from the Philippines, write me a long email that was really cool that I'm gonna break down and and read out and break that one down. Uh, Had another person in New York dealing with some things around uh, aging parents and family situations. So I got a whole docket here. I got some upcoming episodes on relationships, uh, talking more, a lot of people have asked me, Brendan, how do you work three days a week remotely, location independence, six figures, doing what you love. So for the entrepreneurs or the people interested in the Tim Ferriss four hour work week lifestyle, I'm gonna be doing more episodes on that. Um, I got, yeah, I got an exciting list here. I got These are all mapped out through July. And most importantly, I wanna hear from you. So The Brendan Burns Show, hit me up, brendan at brendanhburns.com or uh, info at brendanhburns.com. Both go to me and my team and send in questions that you want answered. Send in uh, comments on your experience. If you have personal testimony of being positively benefited or impacted from one of my episodes, please share that. We love to hear that. And if you haven't yet, and I know a lot of you are podcast listeners who aren't yet on the YouTube, go to YouTube, Brendan Burns' channel, and subscribe, because I've been putting out these really cool videos, especially the breakdown videos, like I mentioned with Jordan. So subscribe, and subscribing and commenting on my YouTube videos helps me get seen, helps the channel grow. And if you're not already subscribed to the podcast that you're listening to right now, please do that in... um, in iTunes or in the Apple Podcast app or Spotify. Thanks again so much for listening and have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple Podcast app or in Spotify. Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Lastly, if you're looking to take your personal life, business, or career to the next level and you want access to me as well as my community of like-minded people, head over to courses.brendonhburns.com and join us in Mastery Academy, my membership site that comes with online course content as well as live coaching calls every two weeks hosted by me personally. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.